Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Good. You guys sound very, very energetic this morning. Thank you for that. It's the sun, I know, right? All right, well, this morning, I wanted to just take a few moments and talk with you this morning about obstacles in our life. And I know many of you, uh, like I pray, prayed this morning, that we come off the streets and in these doors with many things on our hearts and many things on our minds. And I just want to encourage you to set all those things aside. Try your best to set all those things aside and just focus on him. Uh, you may be facing an obstacle right now in this very, at this very moment in this journey that you're on with Jesus. Uh, obstacles come in many different shapes, sizes, uh, level of difficulty, but regardless, they're a hindrance that we'd all just love to see go away, right? Life would be much easier without these distractions or these hindrances, these obstacles in our life. And I can't tell you the last time that I thought to myself, man, I haven't had an obstacle in a really long time. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, that doesn't happen. <laughs> we don't think that way, right? We don't ever say that. Because if it's not in front of us, we're happy, right? If we're not dealing with stress or strife or anxiety or struggles, the last thing we do is welcome them, right? I want to tell you just a quick short story. When I was in the fourth grade, um, I had this uh, neighbor boy named Tommy Jones. And he and I were good buddies. We would lived uh, next to each other for many, many years. Uh, but one day, he just decided that he didn't want to be my friend anymore. And not only that, not only did Tommy not want to be my friend, he thought that our mutual friends shouldn't be my friend either. And so one day, uh, we were walking home. Uh, we just lived down the street from the school. We, uh, we got out of school. We were walking across the property of the school to head home. And for some reason, Tommy said something to me that morning or that afternoon in front of all my friends that really ticked me off. And so he decided that he was going to get in my face, and we exchanged some words, and I don't know what those words were. It doesn't really matter, but uh, we had a little uh, a, a, a scuffle there in the, in the circle of our friends, and uh, he was going to take it one step further, and, and in his right hand, he had a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles lunchbox, and this was in the 80s or somewhere, I don't know, in the early 90s, I don't even know. I was in the fourth grade, uh, but it was metal. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Those old old, metal lunchboxes with all the characters on them. This was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He took that lunchbox and he swung it at me and hit me upside the head. Sorry about that. And I stood there in tears and I was humiliated. First of all, I was shocked because, I mean, yeah, me and Tommy weren't getting along, but we were still, we were, we were buddies to begin with, so I didn't understand what all this was happening and and then so my friends were standing there, and I was just humiliated. I was shocked. I was in tears because that really stinking hurt. <laughs> and I was faced with the decision right there of what I was going to do, how I was going to react. But Tommy didn't give me that opportunity because he took off running home. I don't know if he was afraid of how I was going to react, but at that moment, I was just faced with this huge problem in my life because I was torn because we were best friends, buddies growing up, and something had changed, and now uh, he was turning all of my friends against me. All my friends just walked away. They didn't help me, so I just walked home, this beat-up kid who was heartbroken, 
And I was just this, this problem, this obstacle in my life because my life was turned upside down because my friend was gone, my best friend, gone. And from that day on, we were never really good friends anymore. And it, so I was afraid of Tommy because he hit me upside the head with his lunchbox. And so fear began to, to just fill my mind day after day for weeks on end before I would, when I would leave my house, I would step out the door and I would look around to see if Tommy was around. Or when I would go out, uh, when I would leave school to go out to the recess or the playground, I would look around to see if, any, if Tommy was nearby because I didn't know what he was going to do. I knew that he didn't like me and things between me and, uh, my, me and my friends or our mutual friends was different. And I wasn't, a, I wasn't sure if he was turning them against me or what, but I was just afraid. So fear just took over me. And it was downright crippling. I know you're thinking, you were in fourth grade, dude. But he was a bully. And it really, it just, it just destroyed me. And fear took over my life. And eventually I had to tell my parents because I couldn't deal with it anymore because I began to change. I was just really fearful and, and anxious and nervous and, and I didn't want to, my life had changed because I didn't want to go outside and play anymore. I didn't really want to go to school anymore because I just didn't know what Tommy was going to do. But it was until I finally told my parents what was going on and they were able to intervene. And so my dad went down to their house and had a conversation. And I wasn't a part of that conversation, so I have no idea what words were exchanged between my dad and his dad. But I told my dad, I told my father, and my father took care of it. And so this morning, we're going to look into God's Word at a few examples. Now, I'm sure you have your own bully stories that you could share growing up. Maybe you have a bully right now at work or, or wherever. But I'm sure you can relate to a bully situation. You see, it's during these times of trials or obstacles, we tend to take our eyes off of Jesus. We take our focus off of him and we give all of our focus to this problem. How are we going to remove this problem? How are we going to take care of this problem? How can we dissolve this problem? And the longer we focus on the obstacle, the larger it seems to get. It's almost like our attention is, is feeding it and is allowing it to grow. My fear of Tommy consumed my thoughts. And it was kind of like I had my own personal David and Goliath story. Now, I'm sure you are very familiar with the story of David and Goliath and the situation that David had to face. And I just want to paraphrase it for you this morning. This is found in 1 Samuel 17. David was the youngest of eight sons. And because he was the youngest, he inevitably was the smallest. He was considered worthless amongst his brothers because of his size. So much that when it came time to go to war, David was left behind to tend to the sheep and tend to the house, to look after things, to make sure things kept running. But he also had to bring food to his brothers on the front lines during the war. And this became an obstacle for David because, again, he was always the smallest. And he was always looked down because, of the, because he was the smallest. And he never could keep up with his brothers. He never could do as good as his brothers. David was small. 
but he was big in the eyes of God. As you probably have heard, uh, David was a man after God's own heart. He had worth in the eyes of God, and God was going to use him in a huge way, if you know the story at all. One day, while David was bringing food to his brothers, it was during one of the many times where Goliath was out taunting the Philistines, or sorry, the Israelites. And see, what had happened was there was the Israelites and the Philistines, and they were at war. And Goliath was the champion of the Philistine army. He was like nine feet tall, weighed over 300 pounds, and wore heavy, thick metal armor. Carried a sword that was like five feet long and a, and a, and a spear that was like 25 pounds. Dude was huge. Now, it was common practice in these days when two armies would, uh, were in a position for battle, but they weren't prepared to attack one another. They would send out a champion from each side. It just so had it that the Israelites didn't have a champion to send out. And so Goliath would come out day after day after day after day, and he would stand in front of the Israelites, and he would just taunt them, calling them cowards and chickens and wimps and babies. Not really, I don't know what he called them, but that's just my own interpretation. Because they didn't have somebody to face him. He was their champion. And for 40 days this went on, the ridiculing, the taunting. So David was nearby this, at this point, caring for his brothers on the front lines. And he overheard Goliath's boasts. And he couldn't stand the insults. So he left that place, and he headed directly for King Saul, and he offered to fight Goliath on the, on the behalf of the Israelites. Now, David was like 12 years old. He was a little old boy, and he was like 100 pounds at best. So of course King Saul, he refused. But after much persuasion on David's part, King Saul eventually but reluctantly agreed to let David fight, probably just shaking his head and was just like, okay, kid, sure. So he gave him his armor. Now his armor itself weighed like 125 pounds, so there was no way that David could wear that armor and fight. And so I'm, I'm just wondering if maybe King Saul just thought, okay, I'll say yes, I'll give him the armor, he won't be able to wear it, and there, my problem is solved. He'll run away, he'll go away. But David didn't have any of that. He went to fight Goliath unarmed. He had a staff in his hand, and he had a sling in his right hand. And on his way to the battlefield, he stopped by and picked up five smooth stones that were at a nearby river and put them in his satchel. With his staff and his sling in hand, he marched out between the two armies to face giant Goliath. Now, I don't know about you, but can you imagine the humiliation that Goliath was experiencing? You're going to send this pipsqueak, <laughs> this weakling, this 12-year-old boy? And so Goliath began to insult him and call him names. And you know what? David was kind of used to it because that's what he had dealt with his whole life, just calling him name after name. And in fact, God's Word says that Goliath told David that I'm going to feed you to the birds you are nothing. Are you kidding me? Just laughing in his face. 
And David boldly responded to Goliath with confidence in God's help and with assurance of victory that could only come from the Lord. He met the giant with these powerful, powerful words. He said, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of of Israel, whom you have confronted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. Talk about gusto. (laughs) Now, 12-year-old David, on his own, probably would never had the boldness to do that. But with God's help, he did. David had an obstacle that day. But it wasn't Goliath only. It was the reputation, David's complex, of being small and worthless. But he wasn't about to let that obstacle consume him. He wasn't about to allow those around him to define him anymore. He knew who he belonged to. He belonged to the Lord Almighty. God used David in his stature to overcome something that nobody saw coming. So this morning, I'm just curious, what is your obstacle? What is it that is consuming you right now? What is it that you've tried to push aside this morning, and hopefully you're doing a good job of pushing that aside and focusing on him? But the reality is, unfortunately, we're going to leave this place in that obstacle is going to try to rear its ugly head right back into our focus. I want to turn our focus to a a different scenario. In Mark chapter 5, verses 23 to 34, just 10 verses, we get a small glimpse into the life of a woman who had a different type of obstacle, a 12-year obstacle. It reads like this. So a large crowd was following Jesus and pressed in around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had left him, and he turned around in the crowd, asking, Who touched me? Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding in against you, his disciples answered. I kind of insert a little sarcasm there. And yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. 
and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This woman had a 12-year obstacle, and it wasn't just the bleeding. This woman was outcast because of her condition. She was considered unclean and was no longer allowed to be around her family or her friends or anyone for that matter because if she came into contact with him, then they would be considered unclean and then they would have to go into isolation. And so she was forced into solitude with no end in sight because the bleeding just continued. She was at the end of her rope with nowhere else to turn that was until she heard about a man named Jesus. People on the streets had been talking about this Jesus, this man that had been performing all these miracles. And there was just so much energy and the crowd was just buzzing with the excitement and he was coming this way. And so when she heard that Jesus, this miracle man, was coming her way, she knew in her heart and she believed with everything that she had that he could heal her. But how could she get near him, she thought. Now, I imagine the crowd being super, super thick, really dense, packed in. I don't know if you've ever been to a, a, a UNL football game, perhaps, or a, just a sporting event, or some, something that's going on where there's thousands of people, or hundreds of people, or whatever, and you're just jam-packed, shoulder to shoulder, you can barely even move. That's what I envision in this scene. And the only way that she could possibly get, get to be near Jesus or to get towards him, she, there was no way that she'd be able to push her way through the crowd. She tried and tried and tried. And when she got close enough, she probably was exhausted. And so she, I'm going to guess, had to get down on her hands and knees and press in, in between people and bodies, down low where there's a little bit more room, in between the legs of these people, pressing in to hopefully just touch his clothes because she knew the powerful almighty Jesus was there. And if she could only touch his clothes, she could be healed. Amazing, amazing faith that woman had. I love the part where Jesus, so powerful, knew that the moment that she had touched him, he knew that someone had touched him because power had left him. And not only that, I just love how the power left Jesus and entered her body and healed her. And the word says that she felt it instantly. How many of you need a touch like that this morning? Physical, emotional, whatever. Doesn't matter the circumstance. I'm telling you that he's here this morning and he has made himself available to you this morning. If I could only touch his clothes, do you need a touch from Jesus this morning? There's hope for you today if you just reach out and touch him. In the 80s, uh, AT&T had a slogan, and you probably are, many of you probably are familiar with it. It was something like this. Reach out and touch someone. Yeah, you guys said it with me. Good. Reach out and touch someone. But this morning, I want to encourage you 
to reach out and touch the one. The one who has the power to transform you. The one who has the power to change your life in an instant. Nothing is impossible for our Heavenly Father. No obstacle consumes him. Nothing confuses him. Nothing poses any type of challenge for him. In 1 Chronicles 16.11, it says this, Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. So whatever you're facing this morning, don't let that obstacle consume you. Instead, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. In the midst of your troubles, in the midst of our troubles, we start taking inventory of our own strength and abilities, trying to figure out how we're going to get this situation, this problem, this irritation, this struggle, what have you, solved. Maybe it's a work problem, maybe it's a family relational issue, what have you. Yeah, there are things that we can do on our end, but eventually our own strengths and our own capabilities, our own abilities, they're going to fail us. But God's capabilities are unlimited. His power is never-ending, and his wisdom is complete. We need to stop taking stock of our own resources and abilities and start taking stock of his. I want to look at one more scenario this morning, one, one more example of somebody's struggle in God's word. A man named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus had some obstacles to overcome in order to get to Jesus. And in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52, I'm going to paraphrase it. It says this, Jesus and his followers were walking through through Jericho. They were on their way to Jerusalem. Many people were traveling through to go to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. So it was carnival-like. There was a lot of energy, a lot of things going on. Vendors had booths set up trying to sell things, and people are probably shouting back and forth, saying, hey, come here, buy this. Come buy this. Come over here. I got something to show you. Business people passing by, (coughs) selling things, shouting things. And a man named Bartimaeus was sitting alongside of the road, and he was a beggar. You see, Bartimaeus was blind. He didn't have anything to sell. He was just calling out for mercy to anybody that walked by. He was begging for somebody to help him, whether it be food, money, what have you. He was just begging by everybody that walked by. And you see, in that society, there was no welfare. There was no social security. There was no government assistance. If you couldn't work and you couldn't have or you didn't have anybody to take care of you, you had to beg for money or for food to eat. It was a very sad situation for Bartimaeus. But when he heard that Jesus was coming by, when he heard that Jesus was coming and we'd be walking right in front of him, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He just repeated over and over. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
And those standing nearby began to tell Bartimaeus to shut up. <laughs> hey, don't worry. Don't, don't mess with him. He's got other things to deal with. Just, just sit there. But Bartimaeus didn't listen to them. He continued to shout even louder, Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. And suddenly Jesus heard Bartimaeus' shouting. He probably had to shout pretty loud to get over all of the chaos that was going on around him. And so Jesus stopped right in front of Bartimaeus and called him to get up. Bartimaeus, God's word said that Bartimaeus threw his cloak aside, threw it out of the way, jumped to his feet, and began feeling his way to Jesus. And Jesus, in that moment, asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus said, Rabbi, teacher, I want to see. So Jesus healed him in that moment, and he said, go, your faith has healed you. So Bartimaeus left his begging spot and followed Jesus along the road. We can learn a couple of things from Bartimaeus this morning. Call out to Jesus no matter what. Come to Jesus no matter who's trying to stop you. Here's a guy who was ignored by everybody, and he threw away everything he had to follow Jesus. You see, Bartimaeus, he didn't listen to those around him. Had he not decided to cry out to Jesus, he never would have been healed. He would have died a poor, blind beggar. And you see, Jesus was walking through Jericho for the last time, and nobody knew it. Bartimaeus certainly did not. But he knew that Jesus could heal him. He didn't say, oh, I'll wait till he comes through next time. And thankfully, he didn't. He didn't let anyone or anything get in the way of his healing. I love how it says that Bartimaeus threw his cloak off, threw his cloak aside. And just reading that the first time, I just read it aside. He took off his jacket and said, I'm going to see Jesus, literally. And, but the cool thing about it is that that's everything that Bartimaeus had. He probably used that to cover up with that night to keep warm. And he probably used that to shield himself from the sun in the day, to keep cool. So it literally was his lifesaver, everything that he had. And he threw it aside to meet with Jesus and to follow him. So I'm curious, what is standing between you and Jesus this morning? What is it that's in front of you that's consuming you? What is it that is taunting you and telling you to keep your mouth shut? What is it that's taking your focus off of him? I want to call the band back up, and, and as they're coming, I just have one more challenge for you. I want to challenge you not to let anything come between you and your relationship with Jesus. Don't let a Goliath get in your way. Don't let the people around you uh, define for you who you should be or what you should be. 
Don't let a crippling ailment stand between you and your relationship with him. Even if it's been 12 years. Don't let those around you keep you quiet. Tell God what you need from him. Boldly. Confess that you desperately need him to help you. And even save you. And then get up and follow Jesus. Even if it means leaving your prized possessions behind. For the obedient believer, obstacles represent opportunities, not problems. Jesus can demonstrate his awesome power through our obstacles. We must remain committed to a Christ-centered focus, a dependence on his resources, not our own, and an opportunity mindset versus an obstacle mindset. Don't let your obstacles hold you back from witnessing a miracle in your life. Would you stand with me? Father, this morning you have challenged us. You've challenged me to not let the things of this world consume us. To not let them take hold of our focus. God, this morning, there are many things on our hearts and minds this morning. And God, Father, I just pray that these people that are here this morning, that they would be able to take that thing that is consuming their focus and give it to you. That you would take it and you would remove it. God, your word reminded us to name it and to claim it in your name, and it shall be done. Father, in these next few moments, I pray that you would reveal, to your, reveal yourself to us in a mighty, powerful way, in a real way, that you would just come down over these people this morning and that we could sense your power. And God, would we come back next week with a story to share of how you came into our lives in a mighty, powerful way. Father, we believe that can happen. May it be so. In your name I pray. Amen.